This is Recovery Revolution Live. The episode you're about to listen to is live and unedited. If you'd like to join us on the live stream, you can find us on Facebook and YouTube. Facebook.com slash Recovery Revolution 100 or search Recovery Revolution Live on YouTube. Man, I need to get that fun dance music that Carl has to do the intro with because he does that fun, like, upbeat techno music. I need to get that from him. I'm starting to realize that because he has, like, that fun intro music. He's, like, all pumped up. Like, welcome to the show, guys. I don't have that music. But anyway, well, he needs to come back. So that he, he does need it. to come back. He's He's got too many excuses. But we still love him anyway. We'll get him back one day. Good evening, everyone. We're happy to be here tonight. So Brad, am I. Want to introduce him? Uh, sure. I would love to. You yeah, guys I threw you on the spot there, didn't I? Yeah, you did kind of throw me on the spot. I didn't. I didn't have it. I usually have like a little pre-written thing, and I'm I'm ready to go. And I don't have that tonight. But you guys may recognize this gentleman here on our screen. He was on a Netflix. He had a Netflix special documentary that came out. Uh, what was that 2020? I believe. Correct. Right pharmacist. before COVID. Yeah, that's right. I knew I knew it had come out a little while ago, and it's been it's been a few since I've seen it. So the details are are a little fuzzy at this point, but I remember watching it when it first came out, and my dad called me right after and he's like, Have you seen that the new series on Netflix, The Pharmacist? And I was like, Yeah, I'm, we're watching it right now. Uh so that was definitely a good conversation starter between me and my dad, and we talked about the show and and Good. The uh, opioid epidemic and pill shopping and or doctor shopping and pill mills and all that kind of stuff. So that was definitely a good, good conversation that came from that. Right. I'm a person in long term recovery um, after falling over a baby gate. I had a five month old daughter and a two year old daughter. And so, you know, eight year, you know, three surgeries in a year and a half pain management you know, so, you know, this is a topic that's close to my heart is I'm glad you're here. Well, I'm glad to be here. And I am the pharmacist of the Netflix docuseries shown. I am told to over hundred million, 200 million, excuse me. Now it's 200 million viewers wow. uh, in 63 countries, I believe. And, uh, uh, I definitely get comments on a regular basis from all over the world, particularly the United States, about the show. And uh, the show recently also uh, helped to motivate the new show that's out, a fairly new show out, called Dope Sick. Mm. It's out on Hulu, and I heavily promote that. They went a step further into the, the experience of the, the, the person that is addicted and also the experience of, you might say, treatment, uh, medically assisted treatment they, they emphasized in that particular show. Uh, and so they uh, uh, they covered a lot of ground too on what the families go through, okay? Now, my show kind of set the stage before that. And in fact, Danny Strong, the guy that produced that show was motivated by the pharmacist to do dope sick. 
And actually, if you watch Dope Sick and, and, you, and you pay attention to it, there's a couple nods to the pharmacist. Uh, one of the nods uh, to the pharmacist is if you watch the Dope Sick series uh, uh, on, on Hulu, uh, they, there's a situation in there where they talk about sending one of their top sales reps to New Orleans, Louisiana, okay, because they have a doctor down there that's called a whale. This is a doctor that writes more Oxycontin than anybody else in the nation, just about, okay? And so they send this uh, special person to New Orleans because she's going to make a killing, literally, in New Orleans. And New Orleans is where my story comes from. So I don't know if I'm jumping ahead of you, Brett, but uh, I'm kind of self-introducing. And if you want me to keep going, I will. If you Yeah, wanna... keep, keep going. Keep okay. going. Keep going. Well, my story is this. If you haven't seen it on Netflix, go there. It's still there. All you got to do is search the pharmacist, okay, and and, and, and watch it and, and, and spread the word, okay? And hopefully we have a movie in the works. We have a movie producer that's working on this thing because he's been working on it now for about a year and a half. And sometimes I wonder how real it is, but uh, he is a named producer. His claim to fame was Hacksaw Ridge. But back to how my life changed on uh, April uh, 14th, 1999, you know, and this is part of the story in the Netflix show. And, uh, you know, we, I, I, me, I was me, my wife, uh, I had a boy and a girl, my son was older. Okay. And a lot of people teased and called us the Griswolds. We had a family station wagon that looked like the Griswold station wagon. We took trips in it. We had Christmas time. We had a 17-foot Christmas tree just like they had in Christmas vacation. We were kind of nerdy. You know, we were a little bit upper middle class, you might say. I was a pharmacist, but a working man. And uh, you might say we had the life by the ass, okay? Even, even our son, as far as all this... Uh, addiction thing that I'm in now and uh, the, 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 the opioid epidemic was really distant from me. Uh, even though I was a pharmacist, I didn't understand much about addiction. And I didn't have a lot of esteem for people who became addicts. In fact, I hate to admit it, but I was, I had stigma myself. It, or, you know, maybe I, maybe I sensed there was a moral failing. Maybe I sensed there was lack of willpower. I'm not proud of those feelings now, but but that's the way it was. Well, my son did dabble a little bit in marijuana, and we tried to discourage that, and I think we were at times successful. Okay. But I always kind of said to myself that, you know, if this is the worst thing that he does, I'll be okay. All right. Naturally, I told him about, uh, you know, the gateway and whatnot and, 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 and tried to warn him of all these other things. And naturally, he said, oh, Dad, you're never going to worry about that. I, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, you know I'll, I'll never go there. Okay. Yet on April 14th now, we think everything is fine. Our son comes to our room, my wife and me, and says, uh, Dad, I got to go out to a friend's house tonight to get some notes for a test that I'm taking in school. He was still in college. He was also working at pizza. He also had a steady girlfriend. Okay. He also worked summers to help pay for his expenses and whatnot. Good kid. Okay. Uh, no, tr basically no trouble. Okay. 
And then so we said, well, fine, son, you know, uh, uh, be careful. He still was living with us. He was 22, but he was still living with us. So we checked in with each other and whatnot. And uh, we told him we loved him and thank God we did. And uh, I think he said the same to us. And uh, and he left and we thought he was simply going to get some notes and come back home and study for this test that he had the next day. So we drift off to sleep. And at 2 a.m. and 1, there's a loud knock on the door. And uh, we said, well, who the hell is this? You know, and, you know, we in our underclothes, we throw a robe on, we go to the door and there's two policemen standing at the door. And they said, uh, uh, Mr. Steiner, can we, can we come in? And I said, well, yeah, well, sure, sure. And they said, would, would you please sit down? And, uh, you know, now it, it, it seems obvious, but I, I don't think he was really registering with what the heck was going on, okay? And they said, uh, they said what I thought they said at least was, your son has been shot. And uh, I quickly said, I, I couldn't only... I couldn't really comprehend it. I thought he was upstairs sleeping in his room, uh, but they said he was shot. So I said, what hospital is he in? And they said, no, he's dead. My wife screamed, no, no, he's in his room. His sister ran to his room because we thought he was still in his room. And sure enough, he wasn't there. And she said, he's not in his room, mom. And reality started hitting us in the face. But we had a double whammy to deal with. Not all of a sudden do we lose our son. He's murdered. He's shot. But we find out he's doing serious drugs. It's the reason why he's dead is because he goes into a bad neighborhood to buy crack cocaine. And I'm thinking he's just a young kid fooling around with marijuana. Needless to say, we don't have the time to go into detail, but I... I after the fact, I went back and got bedside confessions from friends and research and whatnot, and, and pretty much kind of figured out when it started, how it started, whatnot. And I can't necessarily get all the details on that, okay? But I do know this. Almost immediately, obviously, you got to plan a funeral, okay? And so, so you, you, you just try to breathe. He's just trying to exist. Okay. But also I started trying to think about this kid because normally I didn't think too good about addicts. Now all of a sudden my son was one and uh, I knew he was a good kid. You know, I just, uh, you know, I, I, something, I, I, I must've misunderstood addiction, <laughs> you know? So, uh, any event, I also did some research and whatnot, and a crazy thing happened at his funeral. I, I managed to put together a pretty good uh, 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 eulogy, pretty positive about the kid because there was a lot to say good good about him in spite of how he died. Okay. And uh, one of his friends came up to me at the funeral, a couple of his friends, and said, Mr. Danny, we'd like to be pallbearers and carry Danny's coffin. And, you know, I really hadn't thought about uh, uh, Paul Barris. It, it, that had escaped me. I was so concerned with greeting people, and I was so concerned with uh, writing the eulogy and all. I don't know why I didn't think about it, but rather quickly, or maybe I had subconsciously thought about it. I had, uh, I got two brothers. They got two sons. And I, I had a, a brother-in-law who was my son's godfather. 
and, 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 and pretty quickly I thought, well, you know, and I, I just started sensing, what did these kids know that I didn't know? Okay. What, what did they know about what went on? Okay. And I had five. So I said to myself, I said, you know, I'm sorry, guys, but, you know, I got family. And we already got five fallbearers. And then I did something. I chose a boy, okay, that was good friends with my son, but for the, 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 for most of his life, they were close friends. But the last couple of years, they weren't real close. Uh, they hadn't had a falling out, but they just kind of drifted apart, okay? But this kid had come to me maybe five years earlier and told me, you know, Mr. Danny, you know, I hate to ride on Danny, okay? Uh, and, and, and I don't want to be a tattletale, he says, you know. And, and, and a lot of kids I know smoke joints, uh, smoke, smoke pot, okay? And, you know, I don't mind Danny. I don't mind him smoking some pot every now and then. But I think he's overdoing it, okay? So he gave me a heads up, okay? Not, I sat down with Danny and I talked to him and had a good, good discussion. So any event, apparently that didn't solve the situation, okay? But I thought this kid was the right kid to choose because this kid stood up and decided to say something about this, okay? He, he, he tried to give Danny a chance, okay? Later after the funeral, I had some uh, discussions with all of Danny's friends. I called them all in because automatically I started thinking there's a killer out there. Danny didn't kill anybody. There's a killer out there. We got to get him off the street. And I wanted to know what these kids knew, partly to figure out what the hell happened. How did this addiction happen? How did I miss it? Okay. If y'all knew something, why didn't y'all tell me? Okay. But also because maybe they could lead me some kind of way to find the drug dealer. Or, or, or solve his murder. I was already becoming an investigator. Okay. I was already starting in my mind to think, God, if I miss this and I'm a pharmacist, okay, and I'm a pretty educated guy, okay, geez, and God help me learn something about all this. And then, you know, I, 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 so that I can go out there and help other parents and, and prevent this kind of stuff from happening. That was already starting to creep in my, there was a lot of crap creeping into my mind. But at the time, when I was talking to these kids, they did give me some of the history. I'm not going it, to it, take time to go into total history, but they kind of told me when they thought he started, uh, how quick it happened. It happened pretty daggone quick. He, he did, crack kind of caught him on a pretty short-term basis. He really probably, against the odds, uh, caught a bullet. In, in, in under very unusual circumstances uh, because many people had did the same thing he did and they did it for years and they didn't get killed or die, okay? Um, but he did, okay? But anyway, at the funeral, one of them, at, the, at this meeting I had after the funeral, one of the kids said, Mr. Denny, why didn't you let us carry his coffin? And I said to them, I said, because you guys carried his coffin before he died. It rocked them. Yeah. It hurt. Okay. Uh, and I will have to say this in hindsight now, it was a little strong. Okay. Yeah, I have since apologized to them, but I was angry at that time because they pretty much told me they knew about this. They even told me that Danny had come to some of them for help and had told Danny that, look, Danny, Danny had came to them and said, look, guys, this is different. I can't stop doing this thing. I got cravings, okay? And a couple of his friends got together and said, look, 
we'll go out and we'll uh, drink a beer or, or we'll, we'll play some pool or something. We'll get your mind off of it. Well, all these pieces of the puzzle come together because a strange thing happened. After Danny left our house that night, about 1030 at night, to go get notes from his friend, five minutes after he left, a, a, a good friend of his called a boy named Ricky. Okay. I would later find out that Danny had called Ricky that day to ask for that help so that it didn't go out. Mm -hmm. So it was So I was very, very upset that I didn't get a chance to know what was going on. I was also quite embarrassed that, you know, in hindsight, I missed some signs, okay? But there was one sign too that was a mixed blessing. We saw a few signs and I thought maybe he had started smoking pot again a little too much, or, or maybe he was depressed over his girlfriend or something. But, you know, I had a conversation when I even asked him about drugs. He denied uh, using, you know, drugs. Okay. I even though I kind of thought he was probably doing pot. Okay. And I just, that wouldn't end the world. Okay. And uh, he said, Dad, I'm depressed. And I said, you know, I had known a, a neighbor of my aunt's had died from suicide. And I said, Danny, you're not suicidal, are you? He said, no, Dad, I'm not, but I'm, I'm depressed. And I said, what's what's the issue? He said, man, I don't know. I'm just, I, I can't focus. I'm not uh, I'm not doing quite as well in school as I was. I, I don't know what I want to be. You know, now all these are signs of an addiction. But at the time, it was Dad talking about depression, okay? And I'm still glad that we had that conversation as hurtful as it is, okay? But any that he told me about this and said, look, son, you know, uh, I'm going to go back to work. I'm going to get you an antidepressant. I'm going to get you a, a sleep aid, okay? Meantime, drink a beer, take a Benadryl. It might help you sleep, okay? And then I also talked to him about his future. And I told him to write a to-do list. And I told him to, 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 to organize himself. And I told him to, uh, 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 I said to, to, he, he had wanted to be an architect, okay? And he was he made good grades on English and writing, and but he wasn't really great in math, okay? And so I think he was shooting a little high, you know? Every kid wants to do a little bit better than their daddy did, uh, you know? And so he was taking drafting, like, in, in his junior college, and he was doing well with it. Okay? And I said, Danny, why don't you just focus on drafting right now? Don't worry about being an architect. Become a draftsman. They make pretty good money. Okay. It's not huge money making pretty good living. It's a good trade. And I said, maybe you can go further later. Well, this is only about a week before he dies that some of this goes on. All this stuff goes on that's related to this. So he comes to me a couple of days later and said, Dad, you know, I really appreciated that conversation. Okay. And oh, oh by the way, too, when I asked him if he was depressed, he also said, No, Dad. I got a great life. I got great parents. I got a great girlfriend. Now, I didn't know it at the time, but what a gift. He told me in advance of his death that I was a good parent. So I, I don't know where this came from. You know, I'm, I'm more Christian than I used to be, but I, I, I will say, I, I think there's something, some force going on here because this thing was foretold almost, and there were things that laid out that kind of helped me get to where I'm at now, okay? So in any event, a couple of days later, he comes to me and he says, again, thank you, Dad. I've decided I'm going to focus on drafting. 
And he says, you know, I love to write poetry and, and short stories. And he says, I'm going to do that part time. And there's one other thing I'd like to do, Dad. And I said, what's that, son? He said, he says, I like to discourage kids from doing drugs. Aww. And I thought at the time, I said, boy, this kid finally gets it. I finally got through to him. Not realizing he knew he was trapped. He knew he was in trouble. And he didn't want anybody else to get into the trouble that he got himself into. Well, that shows how caring he was and how, you know, it wasn't all about him. It was, you know, he want, if he got out of the other side, he wanted to make sure he helped people. So that's a testament to the person that he was. Absolutely. Now, the next part of this crazy story, okay, is, is we discovered his girlfriend said, you know, you need a lot of writing. And, and I knew that to some extent. And she gathered up all his writings and we started going through them. And we found one called 1201 AM. Okay. I keep it on my wall. I'll read it. Wrong turn. It's like a mystery story. Life burns. As Stephen King writes down his words of glory, critics rave, the body of a killer will be placed in his long-awaited grave. The parents of his victims are charged a high price of admission to watch his pain, but their satisfaction is guaranteed, so everyone claims. A flip of the switch in the dark of the night, a cry in the distance, a life taken for spite. The day turns black, the light is gone, new killers are born. A director now awaits approval to promote a blockbuster hit. But in life, this story just doesn't fit. Or does it? He wrote this poem five years before he died. He made a wrong turn that night. Of course, his killer made a bigger wrong turn. His killer possibly could have faced the death sentence. But because of this poem, we made sure he would never, ever get the death sentence. Okay. And now I'll get back into... I'm going to jump just a little bit. Another strange thing about this poem is it was dated 1201 AM. Now, that has some significance to the death penalty. I know that. Okay. But it's pretty ironic that Danny was pronounced dead at 1208 AM. And the coroner said he probably died minutes before that. Now, was it 20 minutes before that? Was it 10 minutes before that? Was it 1201 AM? That we won't really ever know. But it's pretty dang close. Not yeah. a strange, strange coincidence. Okay. Now, so any of that, here we are now. What do I do? There's a killer on the street. Okay. Now I'm starting to think different about drug addicts, drug users. These are not necessarily bad people. I know it. I know my son was not bad. I'm not just biased. The whole world knew he was a good kid. Okay. He never had detention, never been arrested, never been in recovery, never, never, never stole anything. Never. There had to be something else going on here. This, this addiction thing must be a lot more complicated than we think it is. Okay. And so, but a killer now makes a decision to kill somebody. Okay. And so Jesus, we got to get that killer off the street. So it wasn't just a revenge thing. Don't get me wrong. There was a tinge of revenge in it. Okay. All right. I've got to be honest. Okay. But 
I kind of started feeling like my son. We don't want this kid killed, okay? This killer killed, okay? But but we got to get him off the street because he might kill again, okay? And so anyway, then I go to the police, and I'm kind of naive, and I think, well, fine, boy, are we going to help the police, and they're going to work together with us, and we're going to get this thing solved. Well, I found out real quick that it was another drug deal going bad, and that because of stigma, they didn't give a crap. They viewed my son as every bit the criminal as the killer. Probably that's a slight exaggeration, but it's close. Close enough that they just didn't put the work in and the few things that they did was sloppy and they made miserable mistakes. Long story short, and this is part of the story, okay, I decided I got to do this myself. And I start, and, and, and the police start lying to me. They start telling me, they, I ask them to do things. They tell me they're going to do things. And then I call them back and say, well, how did that work out? And they say, what? And I said, well, I asked you to do this. Oh, you didn't ask us to do that. I started thinking I was crazy. So I started recording them. Okay. And in the show, we use a lot of our recordings. And it also helped me in my investigation. Okay. Well, i got to shorten this up because it's a long story. Okay. Any event, a year and a half goes by, I beat the streets, I could get killed, I'm walking in dangerous areas, we're putting up posters, I'm calling in the neighborhood, I'm, you name it, I make friends with the killer. Only I don't think he's the killer. The police tell me he's the witness. And the witness is going to help me solve my son's murder. But I never totally trust him, so I work with him, but I go on and continue my investigation. I finally found a witness. She's a hero in this story. Another crazy thing, how, how does these things happen? God's got to be involved. By the way, I had made a little deal with God. I said, God, if you help me get my son's killer off the street, I will go on a mission for you. I will try to do whatever I can do. To prevent these kind of tragedies, I will teach parents. I will, I will come up with some ideas to solve this dilemma. I will bring, try to bring some of them to you, okay. And, and so, me and God had this deal, okay. Miraculously, I found a witness. This witness had babysat the, the killer, was best friends with the killer's mother. She was black, had three kids. Her life was being threatened, and yet she testified. And we got some measure of justice with this kid, okay? Not as much as we would have liked. We didn't want no death penalty, okay? We wanted 20 or 30 years. We wound up getting 15, okay? But remember, this kid was only 15 years old. His parents were in jail. Now, I'm not giving him a pass now here, okay? But my son, I knew what my son would have wanted, I knew my son would have wanted to have a second chance. This kid didn't have what my son had, and my son knew that. So it's a very complicated story, but any of it, along the way, I didn't always feel that way about that killer. There were times I wanted to kill that killer. I can imagine. That's right. In, in, in fact, in one situation, after the witness told me that the witness was the killer, the kid that I had befriended, Okay. I didn't totally believe her. <laughs> you know, there was a little reward money involved. Okay. Okay. I now for sure know she didn't do it for the reward. Okay. But at the time I didn't know. Okay. 
But I did have it pretty much narrowed down to this witness and one other person who might have been the killer. And so I had a friend that said, Dan, you know, you're going to, you keep going up there, you're going to get killed. Okay. And uh, I, I used to have a drug problem myself. Okay. I've been in recovery now for years. God saved me, uh, you know, and, and, but let me tell you, there was a period of time that I used to live in that neighborhood. I used to fight in that neighborhood. I shot at people. People shot at me. I did heroin. I did crack. I did, I did everything. I know that area. Okay. And I know a retired drug dealer. Tell me what the hell is a retired drug dealer. Okay. I know a retired drug dealer. Okay. And it's an older man, naturally. Okay. That used to be the kingpin. He's not the kingpin now, but he's still in the noise. I'm going to bring it to this guy and I think he can find out which one killed your son. Okay, great. So he brings me up there. I sit down there and I sit down there with this old gray haired black man. Okay. And he says, okay, Mr. Steiner, I give him the two names. He says, okay, Mr. Steiner, tell you what, I think I can get an answer for you. Do you want me to have him killed? Yep. That's a hard question to answer. At that time, at that time, fearing for my own life and fearing for my witness's life and knowing that this witness might be the killer. And if it would be him, he had betrayed me. He had killed my son. You know what stopped me from killing him? For $500, I could have had this kid killed. My son's poem. He was against the death penalty. I, I used to not be against the death penalty, and I'm not trying to sell anybody on a death penalty. There's different opinions, okay? But my son won me over, okay? And I was not going to go against his wishes. So I said I had to do it the right way. And miraculously, it still took, from that point on, it still took another nine months. My life was threatened. My witness life was threatened. But guess what? God must have been a part of this because I not only accomplished that, soon after the case, I started talking in schools to teach parents and kids. I didn't really want to do any more investigating Okay, my, my wife didn't want me to do any more investigating. I, I had I did that out of necessity. Okay, but I'm a pharmacist down in the drugstore, and what's happening? The beginnings of the opioid epidemic. Nobody else called it that, but I could see it. Something had changed in me. I could sense. I could almost see a crystal ball of what was going on. I could see the evilness in Purdue Pharma and OxyContin. I started seeing in my drugstore, not just 30 and 40 and 50 year old people that had some ailments coming in with opioid prescription. I see 20 year olds coming in. I knew this wasn't right. Okay. So naturally I go back to the DEA and the FBI and the police and I try to get them to, to, to close in on this doctor. Again, I meet with resistance. You know, sometimes I used to think they were crooked. Now I don't, I don't necessarily think they're crooked. They just caught up in bureaucracy they move on a different time frame. They didn't know these kids. They didn't know their parents. They didn't know what the families go through. Okay. I knew all this. She had to be shut down and she had to be shut down as soon as possible. Took another year and a half. Okay. But I got this doctor shut down. DA couldn't do it. FBI couldn't do it. So now if you want to know why, if you haven't seen a pharmacist, that's why it became a big story. 
But you know what? I also dedicated the rest of my life after I did that. I kind of stopped investigating. Everybody wants me to investigate and solve their murders, okay? Uh, you know, that was a rare thing that I had going on, I believe, at that time, okay? And I had God on my side, okay, and right on my side, okay? Yeah, I did develop some skills out of necessity, and, and most of the skills was just hard soul labor, just intensity, focus. But I shut her down. Then I tried to do, okay, I actually tried to help some kids in treatment and recovery. I wasn't as successful with that, you know, although now I'm looking back on it, I think I had only worked with about 10 kids and that's because it was a last resort and parents called me and I decided to try what it wasn't my forte and about 10 of them are dead now and two of them are doing fine. I had three that were doing fine, but one of them committed suicide because his wife left him. He had been in recovery for a good while. He called me his hero. I had saved his life. And he married, had a baby, was doing great. And his wife cheated and left him. And he became depressed. And he started to turn to drugs. And rather than turn to drugs, he put a gun to his head and blew his brains out. So that was my experience with treatment and recovery. And I said, you know what? I ain't cut off for that part of it. <laughs> okay. Maybe I can motivate others to do this. Uh, maybe I can, uh, I don't know where I fit in on this. Okay. I, I went out there and I uh, helped develop in my state, the pharmacy monitoring program to try to stop doctor shopping. Okay. I went after Purdue formal, wasn't very successful with that either, but I did try. And there's evidence of that. And that's one reason why, again, my story was a big story because I was working on these things 20 years ago. Okay. And so I'm, I'm, I'm proud of what I did. Okay. Uh, and, and, and it's a shame. There's a lot of unsung heroes out there that have done similar work than I've done. Okay. And they haven't gotten their recognition. Okay. And, and I know that because up until the pharmacist documentary, I had gotten virtually no recognition either. I might have had two people in the 20 years I worked at this say, maybe you saved my life. One of them committed suicide. Okay. But I always did think, you know, I'm probably saving lives. Not everybody tells you. Okay. I'm still doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm fulfilling my mission. Now, all of a sudden, a lot of people say, well, how did this story come out? Well, there was one time that I actually, in the midst of all this going on, and me recording mainly for investigation purposes, I started thinking, this is a record of what I got going on here. One day, I'm going to write a book about this. And on and off, I've tried to do that. Okay? On and off, I have absolutely tried to, uh, to write the book. And I've never been, I could never get it together to do it. And, and to this point, still haven't, but it's still, it's still going to get done. Okay. But what happened is at age 65, my, my daughter, who was 18 when my son was killed, who ran to the room to find him in his bed and he wasn't in his bed. She really got messed up. When, when a kid gets murdered and, and maybe even add on the stigma of uh, back down of the, the being involved in drugs and getting killed that way, it just about destroyed her. And, uh, she was what you'd call a late bloomer. I don't think she's ever gotten 100% right. 
in, in many ways. Uh, but uh, we didn't get our first grandchild uh, to, to, I was 65 years of age. I'm 72 now. So I got a seven year old grandchild, which I went to a dance review with today and played daddy. Okay. But any event, the, uh, uh, the, uh, at 65, my wife finally said, Dan, you know, you know, you're 65 years old. You've done so much. Okay. Uh, and, and, and she felt bad that I hadn't gotten a lot of recognition. Okay. Uh, but she said, you've done so much that you ought to just stop, you know, try to enjoy grandkids, you know? And so, you know, she had told me that on and off over the years. Okay. And, uh, even when I was investigating my son's murder and, and trying to shut doctors down. Okay. Uh, but she also hung in there with me. Okay. But this time she, she really asked me and I said, yes. And so I totally retired. I didn't even do anything on advocacy. Two years went by out of the blue. I get a phone call. It's a reporter from our local newspaper down here, but, but, it's, a, but it's a big newspaper in the New Orleans area. Got about a million circulation. And then they, 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 the guy, the health reporter there has been given an assignment to write a story on the opi origins of the opioid epidemic. Okay. And he, he finds out that St. Bernard Parish, which was right outside of New Orleans, which is my former hometown, he found out that back in 2001, that we were one of the three hotspots in the nation for Oxycontin deaths. Okay. It was in Time Magazine. I knew that. That helped motivate me back then when I was for Okay. Well, he reads this little article. So he goes down to St. Bernard Parish, which I no longer live there. I've moved about an hour away from there. But he goes down and he talks to some of the politicians and some of the policemen that had knew the past. And they all said, you've got to talk to this pharmacist, Dan Snyder. He did a lot 20 years ago to stop this thing. So he calls me on the phone and my wife's listening in because I don't hear well. So many times I got it on speakerphone and my wife hears this call and this guy wants to interview me to write a story. And we look at each other, you know, <laughs> and she really doesn't want me involved. And I'm not even sure I want to be involved. Okay, I'm, I'm enjoying grandpa. Okay. But, you know, we so I tell him maybe. And I thought about it that night. I said, you know something? I'll never write this book. Maybe this is a way to get part of this story out. Maybe it'll do somebody some good. Maybe it'll touch somebody. Okay. So he writes this eight-page story. And if you go to NOLA.com, N-O-L-A.com, Justice for Danny is the article title. It's an eight-page story. It was a leaflet. It was placed in a Sunday newspaper. Okay. It went out and it exploded in our area. I became somewhat of a folk hero. Okay. All kind of people said, this guy's a hero. He's saving lives. I, now I don't have two people telling me saving lives. I got thousands saying I saved their lives. Okay. I got 20 years of payback in a weekend. Okay. But it was so big that there was a hunger out there. I got calls from around the nation. Some people wanted to do something more, a documentary or even maybe a movie. As mentioned in my son's poem, a director now waits to promote a blockbuster hit. But in life, this story just doesn't fit. Or does it? Crazy. So any of that, I signed on with a group in New York called Cinemort, okay, 
fairly small production outfit. They've had a couple other projects, okay? They took this project on. They hired the writer from New Orleans, okay? And, and that helped, and that's another reason why I went with them, okay? They do a sizzle reel, which is a mini movie, okay? And they go out and they offer it to HBO and Hulu and Netflix. Netflix buys it. They say this is the story one. They have been looking for a story. Supposedly they had 60 applicants. They wanted a story about the origins of the opioid epidemic. But my story had this father-son situation. It had the solving of the murder and then trying to make something good happen out of something bad. And then all the science and all the investigation and all the tapes and all the videos and long story short, it goes on Netflix. Big, big hit. There was only one documentary that year that beat it out. Sad to say, Tiger King. <laughs> Real deeming qualities, you know, but some people like to see train wrecks. Okay, But there was a whole lot of people, and I'm talking people who never ever exposed to this, that found out a lot about the opioid epidemic, that found out about people standing up to try to do the right thing, okay? And I've got an accolade from all around the country, and I have a platform now. Okay. Now, I haven't given the chance for y'all to talk. Maybe it'll be a little question and answer at the end of this thing. But, you know, I, I want to kind of close right now because on and off, I've, you know, I'm always into education and awareness. That has been my forte, okay? Yeah, treatment and recovery and trying to motivate the government to do more and provide more resources. And I'm still all into that, okay? But I like, I, like many people, am, am quite frustrated, too, now with this new fentanyl crisis, okay? And, and the fact that overdose deaths just continuously go up no matter what we do. And I used to think that if the government would spend 20% more, 30% more, and just focus on the things we already know work, okay, that that might make the difference, okay? And don't get me wrong, I wish they were putting 30% more, and I'm sure it would get a little bit better. But I'm beginning to think that that ain't enough to make the difference, especially not in this new era of fentanyl. Second thing that hit me in the face was now there are kids who experiment with drugs. Now, my son, I guess he was beyond experimentation, but but there are a lot of kids that experiment with pot, maybe even experiment with crack. I'd be a really dangerous thing to experiment with. But you usually don't die right away. And a lot of them get over it, okay? And don't go further, okay? Now we got fentanyl being put in pills that people think are prescription pills, Xanax, Percocet. And they got so many kids that are experimenting that are novices that don't really have an addiction problem and they die in the fentanyl. So we got a new bunch of kids dying, and that upsets me. I speak in schools, I write papers, I write op-eds, okay? And I, uh, I, I, I give a speech about watching out by one pill and awareness, okay? August 21st of this year, there's going to be a national prevention, fentanyl prevention and overdose awareness day. We also had one this past May 10th that was online, okay, that, that, that I participated in. I'm going to participate in the next one. But I also also realized, even though my heart is in, in it for the kids, and most of these people that are dying of fentanyl, they now actually know it's fentanyl. But they have an addiction that, just like my son, didn't want to go out that night. But his brain wouldn't let him think anything else. He had to go out that night. 
okay? And a lot of people have to do it one more time, okay? And with fentanyl, that's many times now, the last time, okay? So what can we do to save their lives? Out of the 108,000 that have died the last 12 months, it's up to that number now. When I started fighting this battle, it was 16,000. When the pharmacist documentary broke, it was about 60,000, I believe. Already it's 108,000. Projected to go to 150,000. So I'm saying, what can the pharmacist do now with this platform? Maybe whatever he's got, whatever God has allowed me to have, maybe maybe there's something else I can do on a bigger scale to, to, to make a difference, okay? And so what I have evolved into is I was all, not always a big, big advocate of medically assisted treatment, okay? Now, that could be methadone and their clinics for that, and, and that's one issue. Some people say great, some people say not. But in any event, it's not for everybody. You got to go to clinic. You're dealing with a very dangerous drug. It can kill you. But there's another drugs. There's some other drugs out there now that, that, that don't cause overdose deaths. They're what they call partial opioids. It's kind of half-breed opioids. Okay. And uh, uh, don't get me wrong. If, if you can get off of opioids without taking another opioid, that's probably the best thing to do. Okay. But it seems like not many people can do that. So it's a box on and a drug called buprenorphine. And there's a couple other things that's similar to that. Okay. I believe that's the answer. So I did some research on that and found out that only 1% of the doctors write for, uh, for medically assisted treatment. Only 1%. And a lot of the recovery places frown upon it. And, and, and for some, it's probably monetary. Geez, I'm going on about that. They all start doing that. Maybe they won't come to my recovery center. But I think for most, they just believe their recovery centers are better. And they may well be better. Okay. okay. Maybe abstinence and, and a long-term recovery in some treatment center is better. But too many people are not getting there. For whatever reason, and we haven't been able to get there with all the effort we put in. Okay, so I'm saying now, and I've got a coalition that I'm building now with doctors and pharmacists and law enforcement people, okay? We want to get mad out there. It's easier today to get an OxyContin prescription that can kill you. You can overdose on it, and it can lead to further addiction than it is to get Suboxone. Suboxone is a treatment, but it's also a safe drug. If a person is out there and they need and they having withdrawals or they're being dope sick, okay, and instead of going out and maybe doing what they think is heroin, but it's really fentanyl, or actually maybe taking the risk with fentanyl, thinking that they can get the right dose and that they're gonna kill them, okay, they can take Suboxone and it eliminates most of, if not all, of their withdrawals. Now, why don't they do it? Suboxone is fairly expensive. There's a procedure you got to go through. You got to admit that you have some sort of problem. You you have to go to a doctor. He might not look down on you. There aren't many doctors will even fool with it. And they really don't treat these patients in many cases right. Okay. But what if we had doctors that thought it was the right thing to do? They also don't pay these doctors properly to handle these kind of patients. What if we could pay them properly, okay, and get more of them involved in that? What if we could make the drug free or no cost? Okay. My belief is if we can get it out there widespread, okay, 
a, a big percentage of those people right now that are doing fentanyl and, and rolling the dice, okay, they'll app for Suboxone. Some of them, by the way, and I have tested this in the past, 15 years ago, I tried Suboxone. About a third of my patients actually got well. And at least half of those got well without any, any counseling. Although I recommend counseling. Counseling helps the odds a lot. Uh, a lot of them got well because they did counseling and they did 12-step in, in abstinence or they, they saw counselors, okay? And, that, and that's ideal, okay? And we're going to encourage that best we can, okay? But we got to get it out there to everybody. And we got to try to motivate them to, to, to get a, a, a more serious treatment or I don't know if you should use the word, a more elaborate treatment that might help the percentage chance for them to succeed. But we got to get this in their hands so they don't have to take the poison drugs out there. And this drug, since it's a partial opioid, it doesn't really give them a big high or, or hardly any high. Now, for a few people, they still want the high so bad Suboxone might not be for them. But for a lot of them, they're getting tired of this crap. They, they don't mainly take this stuff to get a high. They mainly take it to prevent withdrawals. And Suboxone will do that. And that'll give them a chance for their brain to heal. Some of them actually might be able to do it on Suboxone alone, or maybe they'll go, maybe it clears their brain up that they get treatment. Anyway, we think this is the way to go. So I now, because of my platform, I've had a conversation with our national drug czar about this. His name's Dr. Rahu Gupta. And I told him about this coalition that I'm developing. And I gave him a lot of the reasons. And he kind of gave me the, yeah, 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 I, I kind of agree with you. I, I don't know if he bought everything I said, okay? But I don't give up easy, okay? He might come around, okay? So then I reach out to a, a lady named, uh, her last name is LaBelle. Read, uh, uh, Regina, Regina LaBelle. She was the acting drug czar before the current drug czar. And I reach out to her and she answers me and me and I have a discussion. She says, Dan, I agree with you completely. Okay, I'm not the drugs on now. He says, but I'll tell you one thing. I know a lot about this. Okay. And let me tell you what the problem you got is. I think you're right. There's got to be a lot of people retrained. A lot of people got to evolve and whatnot, you know. And between me and her, we both agreed it would be kind of an experiment. It's a theory that it would work. Okay. And so she told me, she said, but you know what? You can convince the drugstore if you want. She said, but that's not going to get you anywhere. She said, you got me. That's not going to get you anywhere. What you really need to do, because what I'm talking about now is I'm talking about the federal government forcing insurance companies to pay doctors more. I'm talking about a program where they advertise, like we advertise for COVID with, with vaccines, Okay where we pay for the doctor a visit or we give make sure the doctor gets enough money. The patient doesn't have to pay anything, okay? And the, the, the drug that they get, if the insurance doesn't cover it, many times it doesn't when they got high deductibles, okay? That it gets paid for by the government, okay? So we're talking about a government program, okay? And the government's strapped for money and, 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 and the government ain't the best manager in the world, okay? But, you know, sometimes you got to use this to, to win. But she said, you know what? What you got to do is you got to start some pilot programs. You got to make a case and pick out a few areas around the country and get some people involved and throw pilot programs 
some kind of way get some of this opioid money that's coming down the pack from from oxycontin and all the drug manufacturers some kind of way you gotta get the states to maybe divvy up a little bit maybe you can get some uh, charitable contributions or corporate contributions okay and make this thing work in a certain area and keep statistics on it and get it done in about five places around the country then go to the congress show them that this thing works and then maybe you can get that national program and maybe I outline a plan where I think in two or three years, if we can get this implemented fairly soon and start working on it, okay, I believe we can reduce overdose deaths by at least 40,000. It's sad to say, because we're only bring it back down to 60,000, which was what it was three years ago, okay? I'm really hoping for more than that, but I want to be conservative in my numbers. I really believe we can because with COVID, the government put out an all-out effort, spent tons and tons of money, and we can debate whether that was right or wrong or whatnot, okay? <clears throat> but we're pretty sure that if they wouldn't have done any of this, <coughs> the death rate would have been much higher. It was 1.2%, in which been the death rate from COVID, okay? The death rate with opiate use disorder is 2.8%, almost three times as much. Of the 108,000, 70,000 from opioids, okay? I believe we can, with a program similar to the, the program that, that, that addressed COVID, directed at overuse disorder and using medical treatments that we have, uh, that uh, or, or like some of the drugs we have now for the, the, the vaccines, but not only the drugs that treat uh, the uh, COVID situation, okay? We have that right now. We just haven't been getting it out to the people. And I believe that we can do this, we can reduce the overdose death rate down to the 1.2%, which is where maybe it should be. Now, can we get it lower than that? I hope to God we can. Uh, you know, I'd like to think we could get it to zero. We're never going to get it to zero. I know that, okay? But I'd like to see it get back down to 25,000. And the interesting thing about that, for those people that are coming, they say it and say, well, I don't know. I don't know if it's an ideal long-term situation. People may be getting stuck on this thing. Although some don't get stuck on it, maybe short term they do, but some some eventually get off. But even if they get stuck on it and they live in, that's better than and they functioning, okay. But but just maybe, just maybe if we can get the overdose death situation out to thirty or forty or fifty thousand, then the recovery centers we have and the money that would cost to put people into these absence based maybe we'd have the money to do it for those people. So. I don't look at this. Some people want to call Matt the gold standard. I, 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 I don't like that terminology. Okay? It's kind of like also another, another terminology would be like, it's the Cadillac of treatment. No, it's not the Cadillac of treatment. But how many people can afford a Cadillac? Okay. Matt, the way I'm talking about, okay, is like a Volkswagen. Okay. Or it's like a Chevrolet. And if we can get it to, or it's like Henry Ford building a Model T. Was it the best car? No. Okay. But it got America driving. We got to get America well. Okay. So that, that's the mission I'm on now. I have a coalition. Okay. Anybody that's interested in this, that's listening to this, send me an email. My email address is dschneider, S-C-H, N-E-I-D-E-R at T is in Tom, 
O, F is in Frank, H, O, P is in Paul, E.com. That reads D. Schneider at T of Hope.com. The T of Hope stands for the Tunnel of Hope, which is the name of my foundation. I got that name when I was trying to solve, put doctors out of business and solve my son's murder. On the way to work every day, I drove through a tunnel of trees, a little two-lane highway, and at the end of it, I could see light at the end of the tunnel. I believe we're in a dark tunnel right now, but there's light at the end of the tunnel. And I think I got at least a partial solution for this that we can implement and make happen. So you, I have a website too, and that is tunnelofhope.org, T-U-N-N-A, tunnelofhope.org. That's a website. But this email address I'm giving you is probably the best way to re reach out to me and say, I'm interested in this math thing, and I'd like to support you in that. Because what I allow to do is if I get a stack of hundreds or thousands of people that say, I want to support this, okay, I want to try to do something to see if we can't turn this thing around, okay, then when I go to Congress, hopefully I got the data too to, to back it up. But when I go to Congress and I'll bring some advocates with me, I'll, I'll bring some other people that will like me, okay? But I'd like to bring a stack of papers of ordinary citizens or concerned citizens that also want to support this thing. In other words, I want to throw so much against these guys that they can't say no. So in any event, I don't know where we're at, but I'd be glad to answer any questions or if y'all want to ask me anything. Well, I think it's important to, you know, we've had a couple guests lately that used the map pathway and they, they've they advocated and there's, there's not enough people telling their stories. Um, and that's another big thing is maybe that would help people, you know, there's so much shame and there's even in the recovery community, there's people that are against it. There's so even going to meetings, they feel like they're not in recovery, so they can't talk about it. And it's like, Hey, we need to let people talk about it. People are dying. Like, and it doesn't matter how somebody is getting better. They're not out there on the streets. They're not living. Look, I, know they're I, not know, I know that the odds are tall. Everything I've done, the odds were tall. Okay. All you can do is give it your best shot. Okay. Oh, but what I'm saying is that people just to support you, even if they, you know, if you're uh, utilizing that and it's changed your life, tell your story because people need to hear it. They need to know that it's helping. Well, you know, again, dope sick. If you watch dope sick and if you haven't, I recommend, you know, I'm, I'm, I promote my show, but dope sick is, is a phenomenal show. And in it, they illustrate a young girl whose life would have been saved. And the night before she went to the clinic to get her Suboxone, she said what most people say, I'm going to do this one more time. And she died. And the person that was bringing it to the Suboxone clinic was the doctor that originally put her on Oxycontin. He himself became addicted and he actually got uh, uh, off of his drugs with medically assisted treatment. And he was a doctor that was completely against it, too. He was one of the doctors that said, it's like you don't cure a drug with a drug, okay? Uh, you know, there was a stigma that he even had. 
and it is a stigma and we have a lot to overcome in that and again it's not perfect there are other ways of solving the problem i'm all for all any way we can do it thank you ashley no problem i'm you know i've seen so many people's lives changed by utilizing matt it works for some it doesn't work for others you know and it's you know if you so the thing of, that a lot of people don't know is when you're on opiates for a long period of time, you your brain doesn't make chemicals the same way that make you happy. So exactly. you're not only are you going through withdrawals, but you're going through severe depression. And yeah. the, the odds are stacked against you of a recurrence because you're so depressed. You think you can't be happy without this medication. So... Matt gives people that time to learn some healthy coping skills. It, Amen. It, and you can be on Matt for the rest of your life and be functional and that no judgment here. You know, I'm happy you're here and well, you can get off of it with the coping skills. So you, but it keeps you here. And you know what, you know what I'd like to do? Okay. You know, uh, I'd like to get, uh, from what I understand, uh, we got about 3 million people that, probably need this thing. I think it's more than that, but that's the statistics say that. Okay. And from what I understand, there's about uh, 20% of them. So what's that? 600,000 that are actually fooling around with Matt. Okay. All right. Some are succeeding, some aren't, I'm sure. Okay. I'd like to get it to where we, I mean, hopefully I'd like to get all of them a chance with it. Okay. But if we could increase that 600,000 to a million and a half, let's say. I'd like to see what the statistics are. How many really get into long-term recovery out of this? How many people does it save? Okay. Hey, I can tell you this. It's a theory. If we get there and the stats don't work out, the government ain't going to pay for it. And I don't think they should. We ought to shift gears and directed toward abstinence programs and 90-day treatment. Okay? But I think, I absolutely think that uh, we got to give it that shot. We we have been snoozing on this thing. It might be right in our backyard. It's, it's, it's like a person looking for oil and going all over the country and they didn't check their backyard first. Because people want to get better. I mean, you know, me, Jared, Brett, we've all been there. We, we wanted to get better at different times. So if there was a, you know, we just didn't think there was a way, you know. And so I think that's important. You know, like I think a, a great place to start. I know every state's different, but here emergency room doctors um, aren't able to prescribe it unless you have a certain um, like certification or licensing and very few have it. If it would, if emergency room doctors had the ability to prescribe these medications, they would be able to get them to somebody that was saved from an There's overdose. Few, you're absolutely right. There's a few states now where when, when you administer naloxone, you also can give them a, a, like a seven-day supply of suboxone or buprenorphine. Okay. And uh, with suboxone, you got to be a little careful because suboxone, if they not really, if they haven't had withdrawals for long enough, it can bring on withdrawals, okay? Uh, but buprenorphine doesn't. So th there's a way to administer this. P people got to be knowledgeable with what to do with it, okay? And obviously, 
we should be trying to get some structure with this. And, we, and we're going to try to have some structure. And we're going to try to motivate some people to, uh, to, 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 to get involved constantly and involved in this. But we just got to get this out there to where we can say a lot of people are trying this and we know it works or we know it don't work. I heard they're doing a pilot program in the jails with it. Um, so that somewhere, I, I don't remember where it was, but because um, it's the perfect time to get someone on medication when, you know, and then they're already established um, when they're they released. They, they're using it in jails. And that's one thing I got to do the research on to find out how many are doing it and what kind of results are they getting? I don't have that answer yet. And the other thing is they utilize MAD a lot um, for pregnant women um, because withdrawals can cause miscarriage. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, there are, you know, you can have stigma all you want, but it does have, even if you still don't believe it's the way to go, it's it saves lives. There's proof for, just from the withdrawal thing. With Absolutely. Brett, you got comments? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm the quiet one. Oh, he's not. <laughs> what about you, J.R.? I don't know who J.R. is. J.R. Weaver, how you doing? I'm doing yeah. good, Dan. Sorry, I'm I'm tardy to the party. I, I got caught up in some things, but I'm glad I was able to make it. And I totally agree with you, man. We're getting our asses kicked in this epidemic, man. You said it's at 108, so it went up another 1,000. Yeah, yeah I, I I called it when we were at uh, like seventy seven thousand last year. I'm like, it's it's only going to get worse. I mean, we I, I love your thoughts on MAT. It is a a recognized form of recovery. I mean, anything that gives someone the opportunity to get their shit straight, I'm all about. Right. And and I agree. There's so much stigma surrounding it in the in the actual recovery community, which yes. is retarded. Because, you know, anything to help someone improve their quality of life, we have to support. I mean, if they're not out there selling their stuff or risking ODing in some Roach Coach motel, we should be backing that, supporting it. I mean, it's a matter of getting our leaders on board with this thinking outside the box. Because thinking inside the box got us, you know, 108,000 people, you know, in the ground, Amen. man, it, it's, yeah, that's, it's, yeah. Well, it, sound, I, it, it, it sounds like you're a supporter, so send me an email. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I said, I respect their recovery. I mean, it's a form of recovery. Dan, that's us in Vegas, buddy. All right. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I've met so many people in Vegas. I'm... Yeah. Wow. Well, that's I know. great. All I, right. I know. I know I'm not a superstar like, like AG. <laughs> no, you are. You're the he's wrote a he wrote a book. <laughs> Don't throw that out there. <laughs> but yeah, how can we help your coalition, buddy? Well, you can help my coalition by spreading the word and telling them they got this crazy pharmacist out there. Watch his show. If you haven't watched it, if you haven't watched it, okay, he needs your help. Okay. Send him an email. On my email address, which you guys now have and y'all can post, okay? Tell him I support your coalition, like to be part of it or support it some sort of way, trying to advocate to bring what they call mainstreaming mat, mainstreaming mat, 
and getting uh, and making it available at no cost to the patient uh, at the doctor's office or and for no cost for the drunk. Okay. Absolutely. That's, yeah. that's going to require us to get the DEA to bend their restrictions, reduce their restrictions. It's going to require us to get a lot of that stuff done. And we, we in the process of doing that, there is a bill in Congress right now called mainstreaming that. And it does some of what we need done. Now we're going to push further than that. And that hasn't been passed, but they say it's going to pass. Okay. But it has nothing in it to fund this thing. Okay. Nothing in it to incentivize the doctors. And I have a Dr. Aaron Gupta who wrote a book, okay, and he has studied this. He's an addiction specialist, okay, and he has studied the doc why the doctors aren't doing this, okay. And it's you hate to say it, but people that are in addiction are pain in the ass patients, okay, <laughs> and they hard to deal with, and uh, and the insurance companies they're not paid properly, okay. And so, and the DEA kind of rods their asses a little bit, almost like as if they're selling pills, okay? And so, he says we got to reduce the restrictions on this, okay? We got to motivate these doctors to do it. But we also got to give the person out there that can go out and buy a $10 hit of some drug to relieve their withdrawals, and they'd have to pay $300 to get Suboxone between the doctor and the drug, Okay. If you get them for nothing, they may choose the nothing. They may choose not to take the drug that might have fentanyl. That's the bet. Will all of them do it? No. Will 50% of them do it? Hopefully. Maybe 60, 70, 80% will do it. Maybe it'll catch on. Okay. And if it does, we'll turn this thing around and we'll save a bunch of lives. And oh, absolutely. Absolutely, we will. Well, we could go on and on, but we ought to be wrapping up. And uh, uh, anything else you want to ask me, I, I, I'll give you another two, three minutes. And then I, I got to get to sleep tonight. <laughs> I feel you. It's my daughter's birthday. I got to spend time with her. But we're yeah, really glad that you came here. And Mobilize was amazing. What did you think of being there in Vegas? Oh, Vegas, I enjoyed it, okay? But I will tell you what, Vegas did something to me, positive and negative. It was great to see all those people and meet those people, and I'm sorry I don't remember y'all in particular, okay? Uh, it's good to see that picture, okay? My, I'll give you my phone number, 2504-430-3154. Anybody can call me, by the way, okay? Uh, but if you want to text me those pictures, too, that would be good. And uh, so any event, the... Uh, where was I at? Uh, I, uh, Vegas. Th there was a show on there though. You have to treat yourself good because you burn out. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of burning out. I was tired of beating the same horse. Okay. And I had to take a break for a while and do less. And then I had to go out in the schools and talk to kids. I shifted gears on what I had previously been doing. But I also started spending more time with my family. I started taking some more time off, okay? I lost 50 pounds. I like to say I did a lot of exercise. I did a little bit, okay? But I did cut down on eating, okay? And, and, and so I've changed. And then I started searching for another solution. 
And that's when I evolved on this mat and really became committed to it. And I've managed to speak to some high level people who would like somebody that could be, be capable of pushing this thing. Okay. And I've been pretty good at pushing things that people thought I couldn't do. And so I'm not trying to be cocky. Okay. Cause God will put you in a place in a heartbeat. Okay. But maybe just maybe. Now, not only my son said, I want to do something to discourage kids from doing drugs. I want to give people a chance not to have to do the poisonous drugs. Amen. So uh, I think I'll close on that. If y'all got anything, let's, let's wrap it up. I just want to say, I think you and John from McShin were having a weight loss competition, like low key behind your, your pictures back and forth. John and I are pretty good friends and I'm working on him. Remember he owns a recovery center. He's not against Matt, but he's, he's not, he's not high on it. I don't expect him to ever be totally high on it, but me and him are so close that we are right on this. I'm not saying he's going to be full, you know, and you got to remember these people, they committed to what they do. They believe in what they do. And he's got a pretty good success rate. Oh yeah. But he admits there's so many people out there that ain't getting his treatment. Okay. And, and, and he can't handle all of them. Okay. And so, uh, I think John's going to be a supporter. John is one of the few that there are some out there too that are in it for the money. Okay? And if they're afraid this will hurt their business, just like any business, just like Purdue Pharma, you know, just like pharmacists that sometimes filled the, the bad prescriptions and doctors that wrote the bad prescriptions, some of them do it for the money. And some of them might be opposed to Matt because they think it might affect their pocketbook. Now, I hope that's a small percentage. And I, and, I, and I do believe there's a lot of them that don't feel that way. They just believe in what they're doing. And that's fine. Let them keep at it. And anybody they can get into that recovery place, and if they do a good job working with them and they get a certain amount of success, I'm sure they'll get some repeat business. That's fine. Meantime, I'm going for those millions of people out there that ain't even looking at them, that ain't even considering them. Okay? All right? And, and let me tell you, I could make an argument. I'm a pretty good, I, I could make an argument. This might give them business. If we get some of these people straightened out and yet they'd still like to get off of this drug, okay, maybe the head gets cleared enough that maybe they could be convinced to go into one of these programs. I don't know if that part will work. Let me tell you another one other thing I could go on and on and on. One other thing that I'm hoping to, because a lot of people are all about, well, we got to close the border. Look, I am for a tighter border than it's going on, okay? I'm not happy with that, okay? But this bullshit that, that, that if we could tighten the border, the drugs would stop coming in. It's just malarkey, okay? I hate to use Biden's words, okay? I'm not necessarily a Biden fan, okay? But the truth is, I'd love to tighten the, the border, but this stuff comes in by the mail. It comes in by boat. It comes in in tunnels. It's so compact now that most of it is coming in in automobiles driven by U.S. citizens because they don't have enough inspection technology. So it's not coming in with the illegal immigrants. It's it's not coming in over the so-called walls or where there aren't walls, okay? If you put a wall up, they can buy a Walmart drone for a hundred and some odd dollars, and it can carry five pounds of the stuff across the board and kill millions of people. 
So we've got education and awareness, but we got to treat these people. Now, what if we could cut demand? You see, the only reason why it comes over here, there's some, sometimes people say they push this in. That's why we got a demand. No, no, I know there's a little bit of that in there, but the, the truth is we got the demand. Well, if most of the opioid addicts on, on Suboxone, they ain't going to get fentanyl, are they? So what's going to happen to that market? It could even affect that marketplace. It could even starve some of the cartels. I don't know what their plan to come back at us would be. Okay. I'm sure you've got to try to stay ahead of those guys. Okay. Because if you start cutting into that business, number one, if they find out I did this, they'll probably have to be after my ex. Okay. Okay. But there is a chance that we could affect the, 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 the illicit marketplace. Okay. If these people have an alternative not being sick, that's safe and it's free, some of them are going to take it. And the fentanyl dealers are going to lose business. Okay. And God bless it. Okay. So that I think, you know, I, I, maybe I'm, maybe I'm nuts. Okay. Or crazy or whatnot. Okay. Uh, we got to try. We got to try to turn this thing around up. You know, I'm, I'm going to be an old man. I want to see this thing turn around before I die. Dan, that's very interesting. We had a, uh, a recovery town hall Monday Monday uh, morning, and that's one of the questions I had posed to the senator. Was I was like, uh, we get so blinded by trying to get the drugs off the street. Why don't we try to uh, find out why people are are running to the drugs so much? We fix we fix the the people, and then it wouldn't really matter what what's out there. You're right. We do have to work on that. But part of that is education and awareness. But part of that is, remember, these people are sick, okay? And, and they have cravings and they have brain chemistry changed, okay? And uh, so part of that is giving them something that straightens their brain out. And Matt has been shown to do that. They've they got a lady, I can't remember the doctor's name now, but she wrote a book called something to do with the uh, the dopamine cycle, Okay or the dopamine balance or whatever. I can't remember the exact words. And she shows where Matt straightens that out. Okay. It helps straighten out. Now, is it perfect? No, but it's How long can you be on Suboxone? But guess what? They used to, the goal used to be to get them off in a short period of time. And then some people stretch it out to, well, maybe a year is okay. We now have some people, I talked to other pharmacists, okay, who who used to look down on this a little bit themselves, okay, and they used to try to encourage these patients, hey, are you going to 12-step? Are you going to AA meetings, narcotics anonymous meetings? Are you, are you seeing a counselor? Because the, the pharmacist would dispense the medicine, and he was trying to figure out whether they were getting the outside help that really would help them get well, okay? Well, he found out that along the way, a lot of these people stopped doing that. So some people would say, oh, you see, it doesn't work. But he also found out that these people were coaching Little League. They were working. They took the medicine like they were taking blood pressure medicine. So <laughs> isn't that the goal? To get people functioning? To keep them alive? 
hopefully we can eventually get some of them off or most of them off, okay? So actually there is no limit on Suboxone. You gotta stay on it. Now, I think a goal should be to go to counseling. I think the goal should be to try to eventually wean yourself off. It is possible to wean yourself off. It's not easy, okay? Okay, uh, it would be better not to have to go to, and by the way now, when I talk about giving this free, it's not free indefinitely. We're not going to become a, a suboxone welfare state. There'll be a sunset. If, if we get these pilot programs going or a federal program going, each patient might get a year of free. Hopefully by that time they work and if they really need it, they continue on. We can't pay for this forever. But we should be able to do it for a year. Give them a chance to get their head straight, see if it works. Now, if we can go more than a year, fine. Maybe, or maybe we can find a way to weed them off, or maybe in some rare instances where people uh, really, truly can't afford it, we help them some kind of way. But I'm talking about free to everybody for maybe 12 months. I was on Gabapentin for 10 years. Well, I was just looking it up, and it says that the success rate um, for Matt is 90% at the two-year mark. And I know. I know that AA, their success rate is between 12 and 20%. If that's true, and I'm not saying it isn't, that is phenomenal. That is a good, good rate. Okay, If it's half true, that's good. And that's the brochure that it says it from. I put the link in the chat. Why haven't we made a dent in the problem? Not many people are doing it. Restrictions, stigma, money. We 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 can we can do something about that. Well, think about this stat. Florida is 49 for mental health funding out of all the states, but they have the most treatment centers in the nation. So the state that has the most treatment centers has is number 49 for funding. What does that tell you? That's a money thing. Uh, you're right. Like there it's private. Well, money. you're right. Look, there's a lot of problems in the recovery community too. Okay. And it'll probably centers. Okay. There are a lot of good ones. Mm -hmm. There are a whole bunch of bad ones too. And that's another argument I say for Matt, you know, I mean, uh, that by itself is not bad. <laughs> okay. And so, you know, it, this is a complicated issue. I don't fault anybody for their opinions. I used to have a slightly different opinion on this than I do now. Okay. But all the while things have gotten worse and we really haven't tried this full blown. And I think it's time to do it. I agree. We got to try anything at this point. It's, that's right. And, and I, I don't want to sound quite that desperate, okay? But because this is, it's got some good stats, okay? It, it, one of the best stats it's got is, is, is people don't die on Suboxone. Now, I've had a little bit of an argument on that. If you're taking Xanax and the benzos along with Suboxone, you can die. And the Suboxone doesn't, does contribute to that, okay? But if you wasn't taking benzos and you're warned not to take them, okay, all right? Now, there are addiction doctors, let's say, Dr. Aaron Gupta is a doctor I'm affiliated with. 
he does admit this, that some of these people have anxiety and pain and addiction. Okay, so he tries to get them off and he uses meth. He allows them or tries to allow them to stay on their Xanax for a little while. He monitors them pretty closely. He gives them a wean off program, okay? okay? Now, you know what he tells me? What he's doing is illegal. Well, he can be sued for giving them Xanax and Suboxone. Now, he does it anyway. He takes the risk. He watches it closely. He's not ever, ever had a, a, an issue. When the DEA found out he was doing that, they wrote him up. They didn't let him have some profession. They, they didn't realize that this guy's not just giving some box on I mean, and, and, and benzos. Now, we'll tell you this now, though. People found a way to get the benzos and take some box on, and a few of them are going to die. So, it, you know, it, it is complicated, but the benzos, uh, the, the, the Spoxone by itself, or the, the MAT doesn't kill people by and of itself. And it's pretty rare even with the benzos, and it's usually people that have a, a, a and you can die on benzos without Suboxone. So, look, I mean, just keep going on and on, and I'm sorry. I, I hate to say goodbye, but y'all got my phone number, 504-430-3154. You got my email address, dschneider at tofhope.com. And you got my website, Tongue of Hope, at, uh, uh, what is it, tongueofhope.org. <laughs> so uh, thank you so much for coming and telling reach, your story. Reach out to me, become a supporter, send me an email that says, I support what you're doing. Let's do it. Thank you. Amanda says, four years strong on that. Great, Amanda. And she's one of the brave ones that tells her story and it's so powerful. And, you know, I hope more people that watch Amanda tell her story will come and tell their story so that it becomes more mainstream. Well, I not only want y'all to share my email, I want the people that get my email to share my email. I would love for this to go viral. And I know that it's probably rare, you know, only crazy crap goes viral, but, uh, in some way, shape, or form, I'd like this to reach a bigger audience. And it can only do that for people telling people. Okay. And this is a matter of life and death. Okay. All right. God bless y'all. I'm going to say good night for the final time. Good night. Thank you so much for being yeah. here. Bye-bye. Awesome. I guess I'll do the closing announcements unless you guys have anything else. No, we need to hear you speak. Yeah, I do speak occasionally. You've been quiet tonight. I was quiet tonight, but I felt like I felt like the MAT stuff is more of your lane, Ashley. I'm not as I'm not as informed in that, so I I don't know. I didn't didn't really feel like it was my place to speak since I'm not super that's familiar a, with it. That's a rather bougie shirt you got going on there, buddy. My checkerboard shirt. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, yeah. I'm a fan of all pathways, so I learn about them all so that I can, you know. Ellie. I want to uh, learn and be open to new ideas. No, I, I agree. I'm definitely open to the idea of MAT, and I think it's a great avenue for some people. I just don't, I don't know enough about it to, to talk about it confidently or to really uh, 
to really be the one to like, you know, go back and forth with, with people that know more about it. We've actually had a bunch of our uh, vet court participants uh, that were on the Suboxone. So, I mean, it, it helped them through the program. And uh, the ones that I worked with, they, they are still sober. So even after graduating. Well, that's, I mean. Thanks, Amanda. A couple years ago, they it, they would have never allowed it in drug courts. And now it's becoming common and their success rates are tremendously improving. There's more people graduating and than I've ever seen before. So it's like, you know, you'd think it's, it would be the opposite that with COVID and everything, you know, the overdose deaths rising, that there'd be less people graduating from drug court. But I mean, it does seem like them bringing that in has helped. Definitely. Not to change the subject, but Brett, you have any announcements? Do I have any announcements? I have at least one announcement. Right. I thought I saw an announcement on Facebook earlier. Yeah, and my wife has given me the go-ahead to make it public knowledge. So coming January 2023, we are having our second baby. That's a sonogram from uh, Tuesday. So we got a little, little bun in the oven. Very excited. I'm excited for y'all. Little JR. <laughs> A little JR. I'll run that name by her and see uh see what she thinks. Oh. I see you're in the uh comments somewhere. And happy birthday. Yeah, my birthday's tomorrow. Oh, happy birthday, buddy. Oh, AG, you. should we sing? No, but we should get him cake. And I, I froze yeah. for a minute there, so I couldn't say anything. But, you're, you know, just like every other sonogram, it's a very cute alien right now. Yeah, I, I, have like a hard time with, I have a hard time with the sonograms. It's hard to tell what's going on there. Chrissy will be like, yeah, look, there's his head. And there's this. I'm like, it's, it just looks like a blob to me. <laughs> when they get into those 3d and 4d whatever oh, those, those are, are pretty amazing oh, I've, I've seen some that are really scary looking then it's real it's like that's a real baby you can tell if they have hair or not you can tell like all this crazy stuff oh i've never seen one of those i've seen i saw a weird one the other day online i don't i don't know what kind of sonogram it was but it was creepy looking Oh, no, these are, they look, it. they look real. I mean, oh, they are wow. real, but it's probably a bad description, but. <laughs> so, uh, Ashley, we're doing the, I uh, got the go ahead for us to do the, uh, the veterans Zoom meeting. I know, I saw. Oh, yeah, I emailed y'all, didn't I? <laughs> Is that what you yeah. called me for earlier? No, 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 I was just calling to see what was up. I was swamped today and had meetings, so I was I called you back much later and then you must have been working. Yeah, work got crazy at the end. Yep, it always happens that way. Thursday. Yeah, 
Yeah, they wait till everybody leaves. I'm the closeout person, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we're 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 gonna drop everything off tonight. Our 72 hours is up. So here's all your stuff back." Hi, Barbara. We're glad you came. Are you waving to the baby or to the wife? Uh, both. I think Hi, the baby. baby's Hi, about wife. to make a guest appearance because she woke up. Yay. I always like it. She's so cute. Yeah. Can you say hi? Say hi. Hi. Say say hi, Uncle JR. Can she sing happy birthday? Uh, I don't think so. Do you want to sing? Can you sing something? Can you talk? Can you say hi? She's been saying hey a lot lately. She talks about it as much as her dad. I'm <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> Welcome, like Barbara. Was it Barbara? Barbara? Can you, can you talk? Oh yeah, me and Amanda did talk for a long time today. Well, good. And hour and a half talk. How often do you get me on the phone for an hour and a half? Take the tiny one. I mean, I don't talk to anybody for over five minutes. <laughs> That's not true. I got her. Sometimes. Oh, don't put it in your mouth. I mean, I only, I really only call people when I'm in the car. Yeah, me too. That's, that's my office. We talked in the car. Yes. On my way to Melbourne. Yeah. And, uh, I'm surprised Carl hasn't been blowing up my phone lately. I got to call him up tomorrow. Is he, he's back at work now. He is, he, yeah. Sorry that he was going to fire somebody. We can't talk about that on. Let's, yeah. Oh. Brett, have you ever seen me talk to anybody or talk to you for an hour and a half? It's unheard of. I don't think it was, I don't think it's ever been that long. Maybe 30 minutes, maybe yeah, 45 but... tops. See, Amanda should feel special. It's a lot of words for me, an hour and a half. Yeah. Big plan. Yeah, I told her. I told her she missed the uh, the Zoom meeting about the uh, movies. Carl we missed talked it too. About it. Go ahead. Sorry. I was just saying Carl missed it too. Yeah. Yeah, I'm surprised. I thought he was a big uh, movie guy. I thought he definitely would have been on. I thought so too, but it was a good yeah. meeting. Ag took control of the meeting. She I had all way more than I all know. the information. I'm like, that's why I brought Ag. Well, you were there. Wait, where was there? I was there. I was at work, so I was just listening, which is kind of what I do most of the time anyway. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just here to crack jokes. You're awesome too, Amanda, and we're happy you're here, and we're glad we met you. Yeah, that was a fun meeting, though. It was an ideas meeting, and I love ideas. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I could definitely see that. But and I, but what we talked about afterwards, I think that could be, a, I mean, how many movies are they going to be putting out? Would it be enough content? When will the RRL movie come out? I mean, that's all valid questions. What would the movie be about? Brett, 
moving. Who who would play Brett? Who would play you? I was going to say who's going to play Jr. Carl. Mm, I don't know. You're supposed to have all the answers. I can see well, I can see Brad Pitt playing Jr. Mm. Well, he's he's kind of older. I I would expect is, a, yeah. they get a younger guy to play me. You know, Maybe, I don't know uh, who's Pete a young, Davidson. I yeah, I don't know who's a young. I did go see Top Gun though. Good flick. Didn't they just come out with the remake of it? Top Gun Maverick. And oh, tomorrow isn't it Jurassic Park that comes out of three big? And, I, and I'm seeing it Sunday. I already got the tickets. Oh. I'm uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna show my age here, and I'm gonna admit to everyone that I have not seen the original Top Gun. Me neither. Don't kill me. Nope, me neither. I will shut this show down. You are not alone, Brett. (laughs) (laughs) We have Roberta asking some questions here in the chat for us. Maybe, like, I'm not sure how to answer. Maybe it'd be a little more specific. Um. Are you wanting to know street names or are you wanting to know how to help a, a certain person or help in general? There's a lot of ways we could go with that answer. Uh, I, yeah, and she's she's put some other questions in the comments throughout the evening about a family member that is struggling. Well, feel free to reach out to any of us. Um, I'm bad at saying what our emails are, but there's Ashley at recovery is a dash revolution.org. Brett yeah, at same thing. Jr. at same thing. No, his is Jr.'s is the one that's messed up out of everybody. Oh, this is complicated. I keep mine the same on like all my platforms. Jr. Weaver zero. Okay. If you go on Twitter, I'm Jr. Weaver zero. Instagram, okay. Jr. Weaver zero. Facebook, Jr. Weaver zero. Gmail, Jr. Weaver zero. Well, if you can't remember that, feel free, Ashley or Brett at recovery-revolution.org. <laughs> Because I've already forgotten what you said it was. I just have it saved. I just typed JR. Done. So what, what else is new? What's going on? Brett's on. How, Brett, how old will you be tomorrow, buddy? 31. 31. Mm-hmm. I don't even I don't even remember 41. <laughs> I haven't been to 41 yet, but Wait, not, 31 was a long time ago too. Yeah, 40 I still have a, I still got a little, care regimen down. Yeah, you do look young. But you guys, I'm going to have to let you go um because it's my daughter's birthday and I need to give her some attention. Randy Beard, he's he's on his uh, uh what pseudo. Yeah. Well, we're glad you're here, Randy. All right, you guys, I'm gonna get going. I need to give her attention. All right, all right, all right. Yep. I guess I'll do the uh, the closing stuff. If you guys are watching on YouTube, please be sure to subscribe to the channel. Turn on your notifications so you know when we go live. And in case you guys haven't figured it out, that is going to be every Thursday night. 
depending on your time zone. I don't know what time that is for you, but for me, it is, it starts at 7 p.m. Central Time. Usually, we're a couple minutes late, uh, but we start around 7 o'clock. If you guys would like to send us a voice message that we can use in the show, you can go to the address on your screen, speak-2.us slash RRL, and you can record a voice message. And I believe the limit on those is three minutes. So you can leave a three up to a three-minute voice message for us. Um, I think those are all of the announcements for this week. And we thank you guys for tuning in, and we will be back next week with another episode and another amazing guest. And remember, guys, it's progress, not perfection.